first century Jerusalem, you would see a group of disciples or students walking through the streets and among them leading the way their teacher, their rabbi. So valuable was the opportunity to follow the rabbi that you longed to be covered in the dust of his feet. Jesus of Nazareth was walking those ancient streets. Today, Jesus is still calling disciples. Come, follow me, that all who draw near may be covered in dust. What is up, Rise City Church? Hey, hey, can I just also extend a, a happy Father's Day to all you dads out there? Um, hey, if you don't know me, my name's Scott Bean. Actually, my primary ministry here at Rise is, is in youth. Um, but, but we've been going through this series of Covered in Dust, and it's really looking at, like, what, what is it to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus? That, that if you are in Christ, you have placed your faith in him for salvation, you, you're this thing called a Christian. And this is not just some throwaway term, but, but it means little Christ, that, that as we walk with Jesus and we, we draw close to him, we become more like him, that, that we would be like Jesus. And so we've been going through this series, looking at all the, the ways that Jesus walked and how we can actually be followers of him, of walking at the pace of Jesus, getting to know him through his word. And, and so we, we get the super fun, fantastic one that everybody's excited about today, which is fasting, right? Like everybody's excited about like going without food for periods of time. Um, it, but, but this is an actual amazing spiritual practice and discipline that, that actually if we see it in the light, in the context of scripture for what it is, it actually is beautiful. Um, and, and fasting is this great thing. And we're going to look at what biblical fasting is, not like fasting for some sort of health reason, intermittent fasting or anything like that. But really, what, what is fasting in the biblical context? Um, so, so if you join me, grab your Bibles. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the tables around you. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take it home. Uh, but, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And if not, I always have um, all the text up on the screen as well, if you prefer just that. But, but just to set the scene... In Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, like this is the beginning of the New Testament. That the, the Israelites have been getting God's word. They're waiting for this Messiah, this Savior to come. And God, the Father, sends Jesus, the Son of God, down to be one of us, to walk in our shoes. He's born of a virgin. And, and we get a little snapshot of his birth. And then we get another little snapshot, like a, a real small glimpse when he was 12 years old. But, but we're really waiting for when he turns about 30 years old and he's going to come on the scene. And, and when he comes on the scene, he, he goes out into the desert. And this is where we pick it up in, in Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Now, now, First of all, that, that is the understatement of a century, am I right? Like, uh, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and then became hungry. Like, th there was, and Matthew's pretty, like, specific in his commentary on this, like, th that he says 40 days and 40 nights, because there were fasts that people would do where they only fast during, like, daylight hours, and, and then it would, would eat at night, but, but this is 40 days and 40 nights that, that he's actually fasting for, like, like, not eating, and then he became hungry. 
But, but there's actually a purpose to this, that, that Matthew wants to, to show us his humanity, that, that he's susceptible to things just as we are, that, that he's hungry, like, like we become hungry. But, but there's one other thing to note, actually, in the first verse, and sometimes if you, if you read this too fast, we miss it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you you see that? To be tempted. The purpose of him going into the wilderness was in order to be tempted. We might have like read it too fast and thought, oh no, Jesus goes up to like have this holy awesome time with God the Father and God the Spirit and and hang out with him and then the devil comes in and like ruins like, like, like the hangout. No, that's not what happened. He goes into the desert for the purpose of being tempted because what Jesus came to do was to be a mediator for us. That, that he would mediate between us and God and that he can represent both sides. And this is why in Hebrews it says he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. So he starts his ministry off putting himself in our shoes and he walks in our shoes and he knows what it's like to be tempted. And so he goes into the desert to, to be tempted. And lastly, as we look at just these two verses, one of the things to note is this, at first glance, looks like the worst strategy plan ever, right? The, the worst strategy to go into the desert to be tempted. Like, like why, if you're going to go, like, be tempted by the devil himself, and you know that this is what's going to happen, that you would go without food, you would be want to be ready for the fight, that, that would make sense to us, right? I, I'm actually, so I work for the city of Portland. I dig holes for a living. Um, my, my job is very active. It actually, I have like one of the biggest jobs of the year coming up this next weekend. And I'm going to be working like Friday night, like 15 hours through the night and Saturday night, like 14 hours through the night. And like, it's just going to be physical and go, 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 go. We have to shut all these roads down. And probably the worst idea I could think of is be like, man, I got all this job and I need all this energy and I need to keep going, so why don't I just not eat for the whole time, right? That would be like kind of dumb. And and so we look at this and we're like, dude, Jesus, what's your strategy here? But when we actually see the purpose behind it, we we see what's happening. Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Do you see the way that the devil is just taunting him? If you are the son of God, why don't you prove it? But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man, Jesus becomes a man. He becomes one of us. He's susceptible to the things that we are susceptible to. And he purposes to fast because he has to rely on his father in that moment. He purposes to fast because he has to rely on his father in that moment. And he quotes this Old Testament scripture and he says, man does not live on bread alone. This is not the actual thing that sustains your life. We might think that food is what sustains our life, but that's not the reality. God sustains our life. God sustains everything. We see this in the account of creation. You go back to Genesis 1.1 and it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And he goes on and he speaks the sun and the moon into existence. 
And he speaks plants and birds and people into existence. And his word is what creates it, and his word is what holds it all together. That every single thing that we know in the created universe holds together by God's word. And if he ceased to hold us together, we would cease to be. We are sustained primarily not by any sort of food, but we are sustained by the living God. And so what we see here in this passage is actually the foundation of what fasting is all about. That that fasting is not some legalistic thing that we have to do, but, but fasting is this time where we purpose to intend to go without food, that when you feel those hunger pangs, that, that when you feel like, man, I'm hungry, that we would be reminded, no, God, I'm hungry for you to sustain me in this moment. That's what I need keeping me going. It's not any amount of food, but I need God. Based on this, I, I personally wrote out this definition uh, and so this is, this is how I define biblical fasting. It's intentionally refraining from eating for a period of time for the purpose of finding our sustenance in God himself. Intentionally, that, that, that it's done on purpose. This is not like what happens to me on a Saturday when I'm working on a project in my shop and I get up and I make my coffee and I just want to get working and then I'm working till six o'clock into the evening and I've had like six cups of coffee and no food and then I'm like jittery and I'm like, I got to get food. That's not like intentional fasting. That's Scott, you should have stopped and ate and you probably would have been more effective. No, this is intentionally fasting for a period of time for the purpose of knowing and experiencing and finding God as the sustainer of our lives. And through it being enriched in our relationship with him. And this has to be the foundation. This has to be what we purpose to do if we are going to fast. And if we are not, if this isn't it, then there's no point in fasting. We lose it. But, but Jesus also has some things to actually teach us, like prescriptive teaching that, that he has for us about fasting, most notably in Matthew chapter 6, just a, a couple of pages over. In Matthew chapter 6, he, he, he's teaching people, and he actually just got finished teaching the people on how to pray. And this actual, what we call the Lord's Prayer, and then he, right following that prayer, he says this about fasting, Matthew 6, 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Man, Jesus calls out all these, like, there's like these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these like highly religious people. This is a religious culture that he's talking to. And he's like, yeah, you guys, like all those guys, you know what they do? Like, first of all, he calls them hypocrites. And, and then he's like, yeah, they fast, but they put on the gloomy face. They look all dejected. And they're like, look at me, I'm fasting for a week. Look how holy I am. Right? And he's like, they have the reward. All they want is the praises of men. They, they want people to see them a certain way. They, they're, they're just looking for other people to satisfy the things that they want, not God. 
I, I grew up in skate culture, right? I, I started skateboarding when I was nine. And, and skate culture has kind of changed over the years. In like, 2000, like around the 2000s, like skater, or skating kind of blew up and like became popular. And then it was like cool to like wear skate clothes and stuff. Back in the 90s, it was like kind of still this transitionary pe- period where it wasn't totally cool yet. And, uh, and, and honestly, back then, it was like a lot more gruff and gnarly. Uh, skaters were just kind of gnarly. Like they said things, they like did things. Um, it's always kind of part of it, like still, but like in the 90s, it was more so. And, and I was at, like at this place called Skate Church um, where, they, where they administer the gospel. So you have these staff and these leaders there that, that are changed and they love Jesus, but they're still kind of gruff, gnarly, like skater guys. And I remember this one dude, Donnie. Donnie was gnarly. And I'm skating this mini ramp, and like I fall, like I take this really bad slam from like five feet. I'm like a 12, 13 year old boy, like learning how to skate, and I like crash just like right into the flat bottom, and I'm like hurting. And and so like I look up to Donnie, like he's up there, and like I'm looking maybe for some sort of sympathy or encouragement or something like that. And Donnie just looks at me and is like, "What are you looking up here for? Get up!" And I'm like, "What?" Oh. Like, I, I, I don't know what to do at this moment, but he, he's just like, like, dude, you don't need me. He says it in a pretty crazy way, but, but he's like, you don't need me. And it, it's kind of a similar thing here, but, but what we need to see what Jesus actually does say to do when we fast. It's not about the praises of men. Verse 17, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And that, that if we're to take up the practice of fasting, we, we, we don't try and go tell everybody this is actually a thing that, that's between us and our God. And yes, there's corporate fast. There's times when you fast with other people, but, but it's not to be seen by those people. It's, that's not the purpose. It's, it's actually to connect ourselves with the living God and to know that we are sustained by him. Now, now when we read this, one of the things that we can fall into is actually like a works-based thing, which is contrary to the gospel. The gospel is not about works. If you don't know the gospel, if you're here for the first time and you're like, I don't know what he's talking about fasting, like, like what you actually need is the gospel, like, like the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that in and of ourselves we are sinful and we have rejected a holy God, but that God, Jesus Christ, came down to live as one of us, live the life we couldn't have lived and die the death we ought to have died and rise again that we might have hope. Like, that's the gospel, and there's no work that we can do to be pleasing in God's sight. Jesus did the work for us. Jesus did the work for us. And so what we, we have to be careful of is sometimes we can read something like this and get it wrong because we see, oh, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you and say, oh, no, I have to do this thing if I want these blessings from God. And we have to be careful because it's nuanced. There, there, there's a part there where we get into a workspace righteousness. A works, like I do the work and then God rewards me. Hey, and, and I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. Because again, we have to go back to the purpose. That if we are to fast, it's this purpose of, I don't need things of this world. I don't even need food as much as I need my God. And through that, when we actually experience fasting and walk through fasting and prayer, relying on him, here's what happens. 
we draw closer to Jesus. Our lives are enriched. We have a more intimate relationship with Jesus, and we trust him more and more. And I tell you that that itself is the reward. That itself is the reward that we get to know this Jesus more closely. It's not, I work and then do this, but, but that is my reward. And when, when we fast, it's not about boasting. And it's as though, I, I, I think it's as though as if God were saying, in a similar but different manner than what Donnie told me, he says, hey, don't look over there at them, but look up at me. I got you. Right? God's like, look up at me. I think that's what he's calling us to in fasting. One other note about this in, in fasting is it's between you and God. But one, one of the hard things about this is we see, okay, well, it's got to be done in secret. So then what happens is we never actually talk about fasting, right? right? It's like, well, it has to be in secret so that like, I can't boast about it. So I, I, we can't even talk about it. But, but can, can we talk about fasting? Like, like can we, like, we're having a sermon about it. Like, can we actually encourage people to fast, but, but just put aside the boasting? It's not about what other people see us as doing as fasting, but pushing people towards the, the idea that, oh, this will enrich your life with Jesus. Would you try it out? I mean, we can talk about it, but we don't boast about it. That, that's what we do. And so we have this purpose. We have this underlying foundation that... That it's about being satisfied and sustained by the God of the universe. This is the purpose of fasting. And, and we know that it, it's not about how other people see us, but our relationship with God. And, and so we might ask the question, okay, well, when do I fast? What are appropriate times that I fast? Are there events that, that you fast around? As we see through scripture, there's all sorts of events that, that would drive people to fast. And we're going to look at a number of these. And these aren't comprehensive, but, but these are some ideas. So we're going to look at, at four types of things. The first is that we fast sometimes in mourning, in grief, in sorrow, Matt, uh, Jesus actually taught this himself in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. He said, Then the disciples of John came to him, asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus is like, Man, when there's something to celebrate, you know what we do? We feast. That's what we do in celebration. Like, like when you celebrate, you feast. And people gave Jesus a hard time about that because he was celebrating a lot. He was like having parties with people and like, like feasting and enjoying. And they like gave him a hard time uh, about it. But he's like, no, there, there is a time to fast. And in mourning... That, that, is, that is one of the times. We also see this in the Old Testament in, in the book of Judges. The, there's this period of time where, where the, the country of Israel is at war with each other. There's just a civil war going on. And the tribe of Benjamin is warring against all the other tribes. And it, at this one point, there's this battle where 18,000 people die. 18,000 and there's just this morning in Judges 20, 26, it says, Then all the sons of Israel and all the people went up and came to Bethel and wept. 
Thus they remained there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Right? Fasting can be a part of mourning when there's sorrow and there's grief. Because what we do in that moment is we abstain from the things that, that we normally think sustain us. And we say, no, God, I need my comfort from you and you alone. I need you to walk me through this. I need you to sustain me in this. It's hard to see the hope beyond this in this moment when you've lost someone and there's pain and there's sorrow. And so an appropriate time to to think about fasting is when there's significant mourning in your life. That, That you'd be sustained through it by God himself and not just the comforts of the world and food. But there, there's also exciting times to, to fast, right? Is, uh, in the book of Acts, we, specifically, we see that they would fast when they're commissioning people into ministry. Like, these are exciting things when people are being commissioned into certain types of ministry, that, that there would be fasts that are held. In Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, the, like Paul and Barnabas are going to go out on this specific mission, says this, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Because here's what they realize in that moment. You guys are going on the mission of God, preaching the gospel of God to see people changed by this gospel, forever changed and have eternal life. And you know the only way that it's ever going to be successful is if God does the work. If God sustains you in the work. That that if you go out there preaching the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit Spirit, and people hear and listen and are changed, this is the only way that it's going to happen is that if God is sustaining you every step of the way, so when they commission them into ministry, they do this practical thing that says, no, we are not sustained by food in this mission. We are sustained by God himself. And they lay hands and they all fast together and commission them into ministry. In the next chapter in Acts 14, they do the same thing. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had been preaching in this like tri-cities area of Lystra, Iconium, and Derby, And actually they like stoned Paul. They took up like, all these big rocks and like, like tried to kill him. They thought he was dead. So they dragged him out to the outside of the city. And then like Paul gets up and I'm sure he was like broken and beat up. But he just gets up and goes to the next town and preaches the gospel there. Um, and then, but he ends up coming back to these three cities and they appoint elders there. Acts 14, 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They're commending these elders like, hey, you're going to shepherd the flock. You're going to take care of Jesus' people, and you're going to lead them closer and closer to Jesus, and you're going to give your life to this. I mean, you need to be sustained by God in this moment. You need to be sustained by him in this moment. So let's, let's call a fast and let's pray. And let's experience how much we are sustained by God and God alone. Another time that, that is an appropriate time to fast is in repentance. Actually, we see this all throughout the Old Testament specifically. That, that in repentance, people would, would call a fast. Corporate and individuals. 
In Nehemiah, in chapter 8, like the, the people of Israel had kind of forgotten about the law. They had forgotten about God. They had been living like totally apart from him, like rejecting him in their lives. And God raised up these leaders to like lead them back to, to following the Lord instead of forsaking him. And so what they do in Nehemiah 8 is Ezra reads the entire law, like Genesis through Deuteronomy to all the people. And they're, they're all sitting there listening, and they probably hadn't even heard it before. Half of them, like, didn't even care, or some of them had, but they had forgotten. And when they heard the law, they're like, oh, man, we have totally forsaken God. We need to repent and turn away from the things we are doing and turn to the living God for grace. And so that's what they do, Nehemiah 9, 1. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. That in repentance, what they do is they fast. God actually commands this at a certain point in in the book of Joel. A a lot of the prophets, if you go through a lot of the prophets, like a lot of the prophets are prophesying gnarly things against Israel because they keep leaving God. And and so for the first couple of chapters of Joel, it's all this stuff of like, like, like Israel, you've left your God. And and here's the command that God himself gives in chapter 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. When he calls him like, hey, you're going to fast, but, but, but I need you I want you, I'm calling you to, to just turn away from all those things and rely on me. This is, this is what God has to say to them. He's like, I have grace upon grace upon grace for you. Look, at my, my loving night, kindness goes on forever. Like, come back, turn away from all of those things and follow. And when you do it fast... And this isn't some legalistic thing. And we see that. He's like, I don't care about you like tearing your garments, but that your heart would be broken and that you would follow him. That, that's what God is calling, but, it, but he, he calls us in the midst of that. He calls them in the midst of that, that, that sometimes in repentance, that as we turn away from sins, we say, man, I, I need to fast because I need, I, I need to know my reliance, my, my need for God in all of this, that that would, all, again, just be the foundation even the city of Nineveh, these aren't even Israelites did this. The, Jonah um, goes to the city of Nineveh, reluctantly so. He got swallowed by a fish and spit out. Like, go read the story. It's awesome. Um, but, but, but he shows up in the city of Nineveh, and he preaches the worst sermon that's ever been preached. And then they all repent. And what do they do? Like, the first thing they do is they fast. And the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Fasting and repentance can go together. But, but here's one thing that we have to understand about this. Again, we can get this wrong and fall into a heresy that is dangerous. Be, because we can start to see, oh, I have sinned, and so I need to fast. And maybe we not, I don't say it consciously, but what we have this attitude of is that I, I have to punish my body. This, there's a fancy theological term called asceticism for that. But, but that idea is, is 
false according to the gospel. You never have to like make yourself pay for your sins. This is contrary to the gospel. When Jesus died on that cross, he died for all of your sins if you are in Christ. Everyone that you've ever done in the past and everyone you will do until the day that you die and you will do some more. But he has paid for all of them. You do not need to pay any sort of penalty for your sins if you are in Christ. Christ took all of it on the cross. All of it. And if you're fasting in repentance, this is not harsh treatment of the body. But again, the purpose of, no, God, I rely on you. I rely on your grace. And I need your grace in this moment. Would you sustain me? Before we go to this fourth one, can can I just tell you, like, there's a ton of reasons why you would fast that, that, that we wouldn't even get into. There's tons of appropriate things. Like, like making a big decision, maybe. You're like, no, I need to rely on God in my big decisions. Whether I'm buying a house, changing a job, like thinking about getting married, like moving, whatever it is. Big decisions. And, and there's plenty of other reasons we could go on for days for things that you might want to say, hey, this would be an appropriate reason to actually call a fast for. Um, but, but the last one that we have here is not just a, a specific time, but it's actually something that encompasses all of fasting. And it's that when we fast, we pray. That it's always with prayer. It's always with prayer. Fasting without prayer is meaningless. Now, you can pray without fasting. Like, like it's not like a both-way thing. Like, because if you couldn't pray without fasting, we would be very hungry and wasting away, right? Like, if you want to pray, and every time you need to pray, you need to fast. Like, like you, you can never eat. Like, we're, we're supposed to commune with God daily. Like, you can pray without fasting, but it doesn't go the other way around. Because the whole purpose is for us to have a more intimate and close relationship with God, relying on Him for everything. And so if you're to fast, to call a biblical fast and say, no, I'm going to be sustained by God and not talk to Him through it, what's the point? What's the point? Prayer is connected to fasting. And that when we fast, we would be saying, God, man, I'm, I'm sorrowful and I'm mourning, but I need you. Would you give me your comfort? I want to walk with you. In one, any one of these things that, that we, we pray when we fast. We see examples of this throughout scripture. Psalm 35, 13, you, you see the links here. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. Daniel 9, 3, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Or Luke 2, 37, and then as a widow to the age of 40, 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And we could go on and on and on. There, you go throughout the scriptures and even some of the ones that we read before, like connect fasting and prayer. They're inextricably linked for, for fasting. Like, you, like prayer is just a part of fasting. It's just a part of it. And it's a part that enriches our lives with Christ. Man, if... If we're to be fasting, it it should enrich our relationship with God. Therefore, enrich our lives and make us more like Him. This is why this is a spiritual practice that's worthy of looking at. I mean, fasting will change you if you engage in it. 
And, and so we, we, we looked at, at these things, and, and, and we keep going over that there's a foundation, there's a purpose that we cannot miss. We cannot miss this purpose, that it's about being sustained by God. And we see some of the times that, that would be an appropriate time to call it a fast. But, but sometimes we just need to get down to the nitty-gritty of, okay, how do I start what do I do? I've never like practiced this or I've failed at it when I've tried it. Like I, I, I don't even know really what to do. I have, I have three things. And, and this first one is, is one that, that I personally like give to people for almost any spiritual discipline. This is like my top one. Like, hey, like get into reading the Bible or, or praying or fasting, anything. And, and my top one is always just schedule it in. It's never going to happen if you don't schedule it in. Like, like just put it on the schedule. Put it on the schedule and find like an appropriate time when you look at the schedule. Like think about what's happening on those days. Like, like, like think about what you're doing and, and do it at an appropriate time where like it's not going to mess up your fast. And you just put it in. So like for example, I frequently fast when I preach. Not always, but, but frequently. And last month I was actually preaching on Mother's Day. And I was, I was thinking about fasting that day and just reliance of like, like, God, I'm preaching. Like, I need you to speak through me. And so I was thinking about fasting and, and I, I was going to do it. And then I realized, I was like, wait a second. No, it's Mother's Day. Like, I'm going to hang out with my wife and my three kids and enjoy a meal and celebrate her. This is a, not a wise day to, to do a fast, right? So when you schedule it, think about those things. Think about what's going on. Is this a big day at work for you? And it's just a heavy day. And you're like, no, like I actually need like food sustenance to even keep my brain going in a certain way. Like don't fast that day, but, but find a gap in your schedule where you're like, yeah, this would be a great day to fast. And it doesn't always have to be connected to anything. It could just be like, God, I, I just want to experience this. Would you schedule it in and make it happen? Second of all, when you do schedule it in, would you be reasonable? Be reasonable with your own expectations. Be reasonable with your own capabilities. Like we have to be reasonable when we think about this. For instance, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses did the same thing, and I'm pretty sure he didn't drink water for those 40 days and 40 nights, which would normally kill you, but like God like supernaturally sustained them, Right? I am not doing a 40-day fast unless I step out of my door, the clouds part, the glory of God comes down from heaven, and the audible word of God says, Scott Bean, I am having you do a 40-day fast. Unless that's happening, like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not going that long. Right? It, it'll be like after lunch, like two hours after lunch, and I'm like, man, I'm starving. And people are like, you just ate the most giant burrito. And I'm like, yeah, I should have got three tacos. Like, like I'm not doing 40-day fasts unless God really makes it clear to me. Be reasonable, and you're on a time. Is this your first time fasting? Man, don't even worry about a whole day. Maybe skip two meals. Be, be reasonable with this. This is not a legalistic thing. This is supposed to enrich our lives with Christ, knowing we are sustained by him. Be reasonable within the confines of your health. Man, there are countless things in your body that, that people in this room deal with that make it difficult or impossible to fast like this. 
And, and take that into consideration. Uh, the, the one I always think of, and there's, there's a vast number of different ones, but the, the one I think about is like diabetes. That makes it either difficult or impossible to fast. Do not go into a diabetic coma for, just for the sake of fasting. That's not what God has for your life. You can do modified fast or something else. Now, personally, I go through the, the pages of Scripture, and I believe that, that fasting is, is laid out as food fasting, right? That, that's what I see. But when we look at the purpose behind it, like, like the word fasting refers to food in the Scriptures. But, but anything that we could give up for a period of time that, that lets us know and reminds us Man, I am sustained by the living God. Does that not just fulfill the purpose? Man, it's about the purpose, not, not the action. Now, personally for me, I'm just not going to call it fasting. I'll call it abstaining or something, but that's just because I'm a weirdo about words. But like, if you want to call it fasting, say you're fasting from TV. That's, that's fine. But, but be reasonable. Think about the confines of your health and when you can do this and when you can't. And also be reasonable, like, can I just say, if you're a person that has ever or is struggling with some sort of eating disorder, I don't think fasting is for you. And there are other practices that you can implement that have a similar effect that show like, man, God, I need you. And don't, don't fall back into something like that for the sake of fasting. And lastly, of these three of like, just, just practicals, and we schedule it, be reasonable, but always remember the purpose. Remember the purpose while you're doing it. Don't, don't forget this. This is the most important thing, that, that we would remember this purpose and, and not let it become just this legalistic thing. I remember it was probably like 15 years ago, I was going to be fasting for a day. I was like in my early 20s. And uh, I was just going to do like a one-day fast, and it was probably like 10 or 11 in the morning. And I'm like walking by, and there's like a, a candy bowl, and I grab like a Jolly Rancher, not thinking, and then I like pop the Jolly Rancher in my mouth. And, and then like a minute later, I'm like, oh no, I ruined my fast. And I'm like distraught over this. Like, can I, can I just say, just chill out. Like, it's okay. We don't need to be distraught because we, we ate a Jolly Rancher or a donut or like, like whatever, like you forgot that you were fasting. Like one, it doesn't actually ruin your fast. Like a Jolly Rancher does not satiate me to the point that like, I, like my hunger pangs go away. Like it, it doesn't. And I'm still in need of this God. Like let's not let this be legalistic. Let's remember the purpose of it throughout the whole thing. And even in remembering the purpose, like, be, be willing to break your fast for something. Be, be willing to break your fast for, for things that, like, come up. Like, oh, yeah, I was planning on fasting and being sustained by, by God in this moment, but I was actually invited out to dinner with these people that I've been wanting to hang out with and get to know. And you, you know what? I can be sustained by God in that moment too. And I can be encouraged by hanging out with them and eating with them. And so, so you know what? It's not about finishing my fast, but, but sometimes it's an appropriate time to say, you know what? I did plan for this, but, but I am going to go out for dinner. And there's other times where it's appropriate to say, ah, no, thanks. And, and just say no. But, but in all of it, if we remember the purpose, God, you are sustaining me. And that even in the feelings of those hunger pains or the feelings of whatever we're missing out on, 
That, that we, we would be drawn closer to Jesus because we, we know God in everything. In everything in this life, every single step I take, I am absolutely dependent on you. I can't even breathe without you giving me the molecules to breathe. God, you sustain me. Would we be reminded of that? And could, could we step in to a practice like this and actually grow closer and closer to Jesus through it? That we would become more like Jesus through practicing a spiritual discipline like this so that we can be light in this city, that we could be a salt of the earth, that we could represent and display Jesus because in our moments of quiet and fasting by ourselves, we draw so close to him that we become more like him. And we display who he is out in the world. And would we be a people that practice spiritual disciplines like fasting and have our lives enriched by Jesus through it? And would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to come down and to die for us and to mediate for our sins, to be tempted as we are yet without sin, and to give us an example of what it means to fast even. God, that you give us something like this to show us our dependency on you. God, I pray this week, this month, this year, as we try to fast, as we experiment with fasting, God, would you remind us of the purpose of it all, that we are dependent on you on that. And would you enrich our lives and our relationship with you? And would you make us more like you in that? And Holy Spirit, would you just show us our need for Jesus every moment of every day? And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ, and his blood poured out for us on that cross. Amen.